Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. We're focusing on the theme of Lefnim Meshudas Hadin, going beyond the letter of the law. In the prayers that we say before going to sleep each night, there's a paragraph there in which we say, I hereby forgive anyone who angered me or annoyed me or insulted me or sinned against me, etc., etc., etc. Which is, you know, at the face of it, a very nice way to end your day. Get rid of whatever angry feelings you have. Forgive the people who offended you and go to sleep with a clear conscience. But that's if you're going by the letter of the law. If you go beyond the letter of the law, what in the world does it mean? I was insulted, I was offended, I was hurt, and I'm forgiving. That's too arrogant. Why were you insulted? Why were you offended? Why, because somebody said that you're not so good and you're not so smart? I mean, being offended is already not acceptable. And to be so pompous about it and say, and now I forgive you, <laughs> that's, that's so arrogant. That's so egotistical. Particularly, it goes on to say whether it was in this incarnation or a previous incarnation. <laughs> what in the world does this mean? I mean, you're still angry from a previous incarnation <laughs> and you're getting around to forgiving now? You've been carrying a grudge for like 300 years or something? So jokingly, a famous chassid once said, how can a chassid say this prayer? He couldn't have been offended, he couldn't carry a grudge, and he doesn't feel so pompous that he's going to forgive someone for offense against him. So he jokingly said, that's why he says, in this incarnation or previous incarnation, because in a previous incarnation, maybe you weren't a chassid. So, in that incarnation, maybe you did get angry. But now that you're a chassid, what? You don't get angry at people insulting you or offending you or egotistical stuff like that. Beyond the letter of the law takes us beyond the uh, natural human responses. Because the natural human responses are are nothing to be uh, proud of. Nothing to get excited about. For example, you look at a child. All children's reactions are not nice. They're selfish, they're cruel, they're insensitive, they're inconsiderate. A child is not nice. And yet, those are the most natural responses. What can be more natural than a child? Innocent. Innocent and not nice. So if we don't get past those things, we're being natural, but who says natural is nice? As comedian says, I have a God-given right to be obnoxious. After all, he created me that way. So it's a divine gift, (laughs) because I was naturally born obnoxious. It's natural, but it's not nice, not acceptable. So beyond the letter of the law means literally to get beyond human natural response. Because the human response is egotistical, 
we are self-centered. We think first and foremost of ourselves, of our own survival, of our own you know, defending ourselves and so on. And thinking of another person is uh, a rare occasion. Putting another person before ourselves, that's already unnatural. And that's beyond the letter of the law. By the letter of the law, you, you, you may defend yourself. If somebody insults you in public, you can, by the letter of the law, according to Torah, take him to court, to Jewish court, and sue him for insult. Because the fact is, you were insulted. And it hurts. Beyond the letter of the law, what insult? What's the insult? He called you a liar? You are a liar. What's the insult? Nobody is supposed to know that you're a liar? So you want to be a liar and a bluffer? <laughs> Here's a story of some guy came. Some guy came to his Rebbe, and uh, the Rebbe started criticizing him for something that he had heard, the Rebbe had heard that this Chassid had done. And uh, the Chassid says, Rebbe, excuse me, but it's not true. I didn't do that. And the Rebbe said, oh my God, you want it to be true also? <laughs> Of course it's not true. If it were true, I wouldn't talk to you altogether. But why are they saying these things about you? You actually, you know, a person says, but wait a minute, I didn't do it. Well, thank God for that. But what's that got to do with what I'm telling you? In other words, I can only talk to you if you did do it. So if you did do it and people are talking about it, so what's the insult? You want to be able to do it and nobody should know? And make believe you didn't? So beyond the letter of the law means simply there are natural responses, there's human weakness, which the law takes into consideration. But beyond the letter of the law, why, what are you doing with these human weaknesses? <clears throat> Haven't you outgrown them yet? Haven't you gotten past them yet? Isn't there a whole life beyond that that is waiting to be explored and experienced? So yeah, the letter of the law is very important because the law deals with what we are and who we are. But isn't the whole name of the game to get beyond that? So although beyond the letter of the law seems to be way above and beyond all obligation, it's not really. Because if we never get beyond the letter of the law, we haven't gone anywhere. So getting beyond the letter of the law is not a luxury. It's the whole point of everything. If you don't get beyond the letter of the law, where have you gotten? What have you done? You simply went through life? That's not, that's not really acceptable. So beyond the letter of the law after the Baal Shem Tev, has become obligatory. You've got to go beyond the letter of the law. And again, it's not that if you finish the law, if you're perfect with the law, then you go beyond the letter of the law. It's not like that. Beyond the letter of the law means don't 
respect human weakness. Don't justify it. Don't, certainly don't glorify it. Yes, it's human nature, but, you know. So here's the point of tonight's, uh, of tonight's topic. Don't believe everything you feel. Not a good line. You can think about this for 10 years. Don't believe everything you feel. The whole point of intelligence is to get us beyond what we feel. You don't need to be intelligent to feel what you feel. A child whose intelligence is not developed at all gets very angry, gets very happy, gets very annoyed, gets very jealous. It doesn't take any intelligence. So what is the function of intelligence? The function of intelligence is to get us past what we feel, beyond. So the point is, don't believe everything you feel. Don't worship your own experience, your own sensation. For that we have seichel. For that we have intelligence. Now, in uh, treatment of addictions, there's this, uh, this analysis or this insight that people who, have, who are prone to addictions have an addictive type of thinking that precedes the addiction itself and actually leads to the addiction. So, for example, every addict insists that he's not addicted. I can stop anytime. No, I just do it because you got me upset. But no, I can stop anytime. I'm not addicted. Now, generally, the, the, uh, the assumption was that that kind of distortion of truth comes from the addiction. Since he's so addicted, he can't think his way out of it. But the truth is the opposite. That kind of thinking existed before the addiction. So here's, here's what Hasidah says about that. The Al-Tarebbe says in Tanya many times over that the mind governs the heart by nature and by birth. In other words, we are created this way. It's not something we accomplish if we're special or noble or uh, work hard at it. It is the condition of the human being by birth that the mind controls the heart. So what does this mean? It actually exists on a number of levels. The mind controls the heart could mean that when the heart wants to get in trouble, the mind stops it. That's one way. The mind controls the heart can be even more significant in that what will the heart in fact feel? Only what the mind will permit. So it's not just damage control, that when the heart is getting in trouble, the mind can stop it, but that the mind actually feeds the heart, informs the heart, and decides what the heart is going to feel and what it's not going to feel. So, for example, paranoia, unwarranted fear, most people don't have it. Why? Because your mind won't allow. Your heart wants to be afraid of the boogeyman, but your mind says, there is no boogeyman. So, no, you can't be afraid of it. What is an irrational fear? An irrational fear means the heart does what it wants, 
And it doesn't matter what the mind says. And people will actually say that. I know there's nothing to be afraid of, but I'm afraid anyway. That's not the way a human being is supposed to be. If the mind says there's nothing to be afraid of, then the heart should stop. Because the mind governs the heart. Well, let's just begin from the most fundamental, from the most basic significance of the mind controlling the heart. The mind controlling the heart means something like this. We basically have a 13, a 12 or 13 year disadvantage for the mind because for the first 12 or 13 years, we function purely on emotion. As the emotions are growing and and getting stronger and deeply ingrained and, and habitual and so on, the mind is first beginning to develop. By the time the mind is developed, the emotions are well entrenched. And they're already accustomed to having their way. The danger is this. As the mind develops in the child, does it develop independent of the emotion or is it trapped by the emotion, limited by the emotion? One of the worst habits that a child can get into is fabrication. When you say to a child, why did you break that? And he says, I didn't. And he just did it right in front of your eyes. He broke it. And he said, I didn't. That's a very scary thing. Because it could be the child is simply lying, which would be bad enough. It could also be that the child actually believes it. He actually believes that he didn't do it. Why? Because he doesn't want to believe that he did it. So he didn't do it. Which means that his feelings dictate his thinking. That's called an addicted mind. That's called addicted thinking. What is the addiction? The mind is addicted to the feelings. Can't get past the feelings. So the feelings dictate what the mind is going to think. And that's really scary. So the, uh, the, the wisdom says, don't believe everything you feel. So when you say to a child, I know you're not in the mood, but you got to go. I know you don't want to, but it has to be. Besides disciplining, besides teaching the child self-control, you are peeling his thinking away from his feelings. You're saying, okay, those are your feelings. Now, what should we do? We should do what we have to do. So don't let your thinking get caught or trapped in your emotion. That's a very necessary and healthy part of raising a child. So what does addicted thinking mean? Addicted thinking means if I don't want it, then I don't think it is. The mind controlling the heart means that the mind developed independently even though the emotions were there first. And once it develops, it can control the mind. Let's take a look at a Mishnah. It's a Mishnah we've talked about, but we'll take another approach. The Mishnah says, Who is wise? Ezehu chacham. Who is wise? The person who learns from all people. And who is strong? The one who controls his impulses. And who is honored? Who is rich? 
the one who is content with his portion. There's a relationship between these, these statements. Ezehu Chacham, who is wise. What this means is, what constitutes true wisdom? So according to what we were saying about addictive thinking, who is wise? Someone who can learn from others. A person whose thinking is addicted is not open to influence from the outside. So if you say to a, to a person who's, who's addicted in their thinking, you say, so that's your opinion. So that's what you think. Well, how about uh, asking others what they think? How about getting another opinion? And they can't. They can't. What's another opinion? This is it. To be open to another opinion means that your mind is free, independent of your emotions. And that's why you're capable of hearing another opinion, even though you already have an opinion. Because the mind, a chacham, is objective. Feelings are subjective. So if your mind is independent of the feeling, then it can function objectively. This is what I think. What do you think? I don't like the idea, but what do you say? And what you say counts. Maybe you'll change my mind. Maybe I don't think it's a good idea, but since you think it is a good idea, maybe we should do it your way. That's a chacham. If I'm trapped in my emotions, I can't consider your opinion. I'm angry. I want. What's the difference what you think? What you think is not going to change my feeling. Because feelings are not open to, to negotiation. They're non-negotiable. They're subjective, not object. So who is a chacham? The one who can learn from others. And because he is objective, he can learn from anybody. Why would a person take advice only from certain people? Why would he learn only from certain people? Not because of his wisdom, because of his feelings. I'm going to listen to a Schmendrick who never went to school and never had a job in his life? What is that, an intelligent statement? No, that's a, an aspect of my pride, of my vanity. I don't talk to people who, who are not known to be intelligent. That's not an intelligent choice. That's an emotional choice. If I'm really objective and I'm not allowing my emotions to influence my thinking, then I'm open to anybody. What's the difference? You can learn from anybody. There is something to learn from everybody. It's beneath your dignity? That's emotional. That's not intelligent. So if a person is a chacham, which means his intelligence developed independently of his emotions, then he, can learn from, then he will learn from everybody. So that's a description of the function in the mind. But of course, the function of the mind alone is pointless. So you're a chacham, now you know. Then what? In fact, that itself can become a trap. There are people who are trapped in their mind, not by their emotions. They're trapped in their mind 
in order to avoid emotions. So, for example, you say to a person, I can't believe the way you behave. Aren't you upset by your own stinginess or by your own jealousy? Because look at you, you're so jealous. You're so. And the person says, I know that. What does that mean? I know that. Well, if you knew that, why aren't you doing anything about it? I know that means I'm stuck in my mind. My knowledge is my defense. I don't have to be upset about my failings because I know. This is the most frustrating thing. You talk to somebody, you try to make them see that they should be different and act differently. They say, oh, I know that. Why, you don't think I know that? I know that. And that's it. That's the trap. Knowing that they have the fault means that they don't care about it. So they stay away, they protect themselves, they avoid emotion by knowing. Well, tell me something I don't know. Why do I have to tell you something you don't know? I'm telling you something you do know, do something about it. Now, I know that. For example, in the addicted thinking, a guy comes, an addicted, uh, uh, an alcoholic, comes to you and says, my life is a mess. <laughs> I'm in such trouble. They took away my license. They took away my credit cards. They took away, and my, my wife is leaving me. I'm in big trouble. I'm such, ugh, my life is so messed up. Can you help me? You got to help me. So you say, well, the first thing is you got to stop drinking. He said, oh, don't start with that. <laughs> Everybody, look, that's not the problem, okay? I know that. Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> you don't need to know something you don't know. You need to stop drinking. Don't, don't, don't go. I don't want to talk about that. Because that's a boring... I know that already. And therefore... So somehow, by knowing it, the knowledge prevents you from feeling bad about it. That's a trap. Uh, Rabbi Tversky gives an example. He says that the alcoholic says... Help me. you got to help me. I'm in big trouble. But don't talk about my drinking. That's like a person saying, you know, I really need to know. Maybe you can help me. I, I really need to know how much is two and two. But don't say four. Don't give me the four. Everybody tells me four. I don't want to hear four. Just tell me how much two and two is. I really need to know. Say, well, I'm afraid it's four. <laughs> Say, oh, right with the four. Again with the four. I know the four. Give me something else. There is nothing else. Two and two is four. So knowing can sometimes be the obstacle to feeling. Or it can be used that way. So as soon as a person says, oh yeah, I know that. There's the problem. He's using his knowledge to avoid feeling. So the second step is, knowledge is meant to lead to feelings. The mind controls the heart doesn't mean simply damage control. The mind controls the heart means the function and purpose of a mind is to control a heart, to have a heart, to use a heart, not to be separate from the heart. So who is strong? Meaning to say, 
the effect of the mind on the heart can be weak or it can be strong. So who is strong? One who controls his impulses. So who is wise? Somebody who can think independent of his feelings. Now who is strong? One who controls his feelings. Avoiding your feelings is weakness. Weakness of the mind. Now who is rich? This takes us into behavior. Rich means the ability to give. Poor means the need to receive. So who is rich? Who can give others? Who can teach others? Who can influence others? Because that's the next step. If you have a mind, and the mind produces a good heart, okay, and what's the point of that? So now you're a good guy. Now you're a chacham and a gibber. Now you're wise and strong. Yeah, but who needs you? So what good are you to anybody? So that has to lead to action. In general, emotions lead to action. That's what they're for. The emotions are there to animate behavior. Otherwise, the behavior is mechanical. So to make the behavior rich, and behavior in general is rich because it influences others. It affects others. So that's the third stage of development. When you're a chacham, which means your mind can think. It's not trapped by the feeling. And it influences your heart because you can control your impulses and choose your impulses and guide them and so on and so forth so that your emotions are now healthy and strong. Now you have to be rich. Rich means have a lot of accomplishment. A wealth of, of achievement. And that means influencing the world around you. In influencing the world around you, who is rich? The one who is happy with his lot, with his chilek. A person's portion, a person's lot, means not him. Something he has. So chacham, well, that's him. Strong, that's him, his feelings, his... But deeds or accomplishments or influence on others, this is not him. This is outside of him. This is what he acquires. It's his lot. It's his portion. It's like owning a field. If you own a field, that's your portion. It's not you. Something you acquired. So when it comes to behavior, which is outside of yourself, this is called chilek your lot, what you have, not what you are. Who is rich? The person who is happy with what he has. The person who performs and influences others with joy. And then the fourth thing is, who is honored? Who is honored means getting feedback from others. You influence people, you get feedback. That's called honored. You're getting a response from outside. 
So who is really honored? What is the, the next step in the, in the structure of a human life, of a human being? It's the, who is really honored? The one who honors the creation. So if Chacham, Chacham refers to Chachma and Gibber, strong person, refers to emotions, love, fear, kindness, and so on, if wealth refers to influencing others, having an effect on others, then honor would refer to the attribute of malchus, of royalty. Obviously, a king is honored. But the attribute of malchus is the most external, the least essential to the human being. The human being can live alone on an island. So getting feedback from others or being honored from others, this is like the final touch, the finishing touch on a, on a person's life, but not an essential part of who he is. That's called malchus. And in malchus, there are two parts. There's the fact that you are being honored, a king gets honor, but also a king has to be completely and totally humble. As uh, God said to Moshe, and Moshe said to, uh, to Yeshua, you are the leaders. But when I appoint you leaders, you think I'm giving you authority? I'm giving, I'm enslaving you. I'm giving you, I'm giving you a burden, not an honor. Because to be responsible for others, on the one hand, you have to be firm and strong and head and shoulders above. But on the other hand, you are their slave. So a king has to be both royal and humble. So who is truly honored? The one who honors everybody. Complete humility. So now we have a picture of a, of a life, of a significant, meaningful life. He is a chacham, he is a gibber, he is rich, and he is honored. That's what life is made up of. Life is made up of in gaining intelligence so that you can think beyond your own emotions. Then the mind influences you so that you have the right emotions. That makes you strong. Then, having the right emotions, you influence others and you accomplish something in your life. And in spite of all the accomplishments, you remain humble. That's a mensch. That's it. That's the whole story. A person has to have intelligence, otherwise he's not a human being. The intelligence has to influence the heart, otherwise he's not a good human being. The heart has to share with others and influence others and change the world around you, otherwise you're not a productive human being. And then, after all of that, you have to be humble. Otherwise, you just ruined everything. You just destroyed everything you accomplished. And that's life. That's the whole story. So the crucial line, the crucial turning point of it all is not to get stuck on the natural feelings, to go beyond the letter of the law. 
So all of the things we've been talking about in Pirkei Avos, that it's all beyond the letter of the law, it all can be summed up by this one sentence. Don't believe everything you feel. Because to believe everything you feel means you're stuck in the letter of the law. You haven't gotten beyond. And beyond doesn't mean some lofty, idealistic, holy level. It means simply being healthy. Because if you don't get beyond your feelings, you're not a healthy human being. It is the nature of a human being that he is intelligent, even in his emotions. There was a famous chassid way back when, the first generation of chassidus, who during the, um, the Franco-Russian War, he was spying for the Tsar. And he was present in, uh, in a tent out on the field, on the, on the battle, on the front, where the French generals were uh, making their plans and mapping out their strategies. Napoleon, and he, was, he walked into the tent and he sensed that somebody is a spy, that somebody can't be trusted. And he looked around and he saw this chassid who was the interpreter. That's what he was there for. He was supposed to be an interpreter, not a, not a general in the army. So he said, I think you're a spy. And if you are, I'm going to shoot you. And then he walked over and put his hand on his heart to see if the heart was beating uh, in panic. And if it, were, if, it, if it had been beating too rapidly, he would have shot him. But the chassid told his heart to remain calm, and it did. So Napoleon let him go. When he came back to Russia, he told uh, the chassidim there that Tanya had saved his life because he studied in Tanya that the, that the heart is governed by the mind. And so he was able to, to control his heart beat because the mind controls the heart. Now that's a very advanced level. And that doesn't come by nature. That comes from, from effort, from training. But when the Rebbe says over and over again that the mind controls the heart by nature, by the way that we are born and, 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 and created, he's not talking about that kind of control. He's simply talking about the fact that the mind can disagree with its own heart. That's the nature of a human being. In fact, that's the nature of intelligence. Intelligence means I can disagree with my heart. If I can't disagree with my heart, that's, that's a loss of, of intelligence. And that's what they call addictive thinking. The mind is not free to think. It can only, it can only agree with the emotion. But then that is not then it's not intelligent. Then he's not a chacham. Then there is no chachma. So I was talking to a group of boys from the yeshiva, and they were asking me, one of them was saying, like, how do you explain such and such? And I said, Well, before before I give you the explanation, let me ask you a question. Does your mind control your heart? And he said, No. 
out of all humility. In all humility, he said, no, no. I said, your mind doesn't control your heart? He said, no, of course not. I said, in that case, I'm not answering your question, because what's the difference? What's the difference? What I say, your mind is, 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 can't think. You're going to do whatever you want anyway, because your mind doesn't control your heart. So you're asking me, why should you? Why do I have to? doesn't matter what I say. It's a waste of time talking to you. He said, yeah, but not everybody is on that level where their mind controls their heart. I said, I think you misunderstood. Doesn't it say in Tanya, the mind controls your heart by nature? So what does it mean not everybody's on that level? Everybody is on that level. Everyone is created that way, that the mind controls the heart. If the mind is not controlling the heart, it simply means that you haven't grown up. And that's, of course, that's what explains how you could talk to somebody and explain something to them, and they understand it, and they agree with you, and it does nothing. Nothing changes. Or you talk to somebody, and you explain something to them, and, well, yeah, they, they, I, I hear what you're saying, but, but what? Yes, but they don't have an objection. They just don't want to hear it, so they don't hear it. It's called addictive. That's addictive. So I said to these boys, I said, I can't, I can't I'm not going to answer any of your questions. I'm going to just waste my time. And by the way, I don't think you should ever get married. How could you get married? You're going to have a person in your life who's going to have another opinion? You can't handle that. Like we were saying before, a person whose mind is independent can say, this is what I think, but what do you think? A person whose mind doesn't control his heart. There can't be another think. <laughs> There's only one think, and that's it. So just to be able to have a friend, to be able to take advice, to be able to hear somebody... Your mind has to control your heart. This is not a lofty level. This is not reserved for tzaddikim. This is simply human beings, mensch. And yet it's beyond the letter of the law. Because by the letter of the law, you're entitled to your feelings. They're natural, they're legitimate, you were created that way, no problem. And I think that this is what we mean when we say raising children. Why raise them? There's a level in which they exist and function. It's not like you have to create them. They exist. They have personalities, they have needs, they have demands, they have strengths, they have weaknesses. It's a whole, you know, a lot of stuff going on. So what is your job? Your job is to raise them. Raise them from where they are to a level higher than that. Get them beyond themselves. Get them past their own feelings. Get them to know that they can't believe everything they feel. That's called raising. If you cater to their feelings, you're not raising them. That's called indulging. Indulging does not raise. You stay on the same level. So what is wrong with indulging children? What's wrong is that they will remain children forever.
because you're not raising them above it. And the argument or the appeal is, well, that's nice. That's their nature. Don't tamper with their nature. They are naturally angry children. Let them be. They're naturally jealous and competitive. Let them be. Cater. But there's a nature beyond that. It is also natural that the mind controls the heart. Of course, that comes a little later in life. Comes when you're 12, when you're 13, when you're 40. But that's also natural. So to say, um, I don't want to tamper with their nature by making them intelligent, <laughs> that's, that's not tampering with their nature. That's completing the picture, raising them from the minimal level of their nature to the true level of their nature. The nature in which the mind controls the heart. That's the nature of an intelligent human being. So, let's go over it again. Who is a chacham? Which means, who has intelligence? A person whose intelligence is free of his emotions, and therefore, he can learn from everybody. Now, who is strong? And strength, of course, refers to emotions. You don't generally say, He's got a very strong mind. Not a strong mind. You can have a bright mind, a quick mind. Strong? Strength generally refers to emotions because emotions are intense. So who is strong? Whose emotions are good? Someone who can control them, who can control his impulses, which means the mind now controls the heart and that makes him strong who is rich who has a wealth of achievement and accomplishment a person who is happy with his lot he is happy in influencing others and in making a difference in the world around him he doesn't resent going outside of himself, but does it happily. So everybody has an influence, but who, so in that sense, everybody is rich, but who is truly rich? The one who influences the world around him with joy. Because here too, we can get caught in a trap. If I really am so smart, and I'm really so strong, I'm a very healthy human being. Strong of mind and strong of heart. What else do I need? I can very easily be content with that. And if I'm forced to go beyond myself and pay attention to others and, and do for others or for things outside of myself, I will do it resentfully. I'm comfortable with me. I'm good. Why do I have to worry about you? So there are people who actually resent being wealthy. They don't want to have a portion in the world. They're happy with themselves. So not everybody is happy with their portion. Some people would rather not have a portion. Not they want a bigger portion. That's the simple meaning. The simple meaning is if you're happy with how much you have, then you're rich. 
Because most people are never happy. They always want more. Here we're talking on a different level. Having a portion means going outside of yourself. Not everybody wants to do that. If I feel inadequate, if I feel like I'm not smart and I'm not emotionally stable, then yes, then I want to reach out to others. I want to show at least that I can accomplish something and prove myself. But if I'm happy within myself because my mind is good, my heart is good, what do I need you for? I have to worry about whether your mind is good, your heart is good, whether you're happy. I resent that. Leave me to myself. I have to? All right, fine, I'll do it, but not happily. So that's a person who is not rich, even if he accomplishes a lot, but he does it unhappily, resentfully. He has to force himself. So he will amass a lot of achievement, and he will be wealthy, but that's not the real wealth. So who is truly wealthy? Someone who is happy with his lot. He is responsible for others. He is involved in the world around him, outside of himself, and, he in, and he's happy about it. He's glad. Now the next trap is, if he is such a mensch, he is so intelligent and he's so emotionally uh, healthy and he has accomplished a lot in the world around him, by nature, by the letter of the law, he will feel quite accomplished and he will become arrogant. He will thrive on the honor that he is receiving for all of his virtues. And he will be honored. I mean, there is reason to honor him. People will honor him. But who is truly honored? Who doesn't get trapped by the honor? Who is not destroyed by the honor? The one who honors others because he remains humble. So here are the pitfalls and their avoidance. The first pitfall is your mind develops according to your emotions. That's bad news. The mind has to develop independent of the emotions. Second thing is, your emotions are good, but they're not intelligent. See, it doesn't say, who is strong? One who controls his evil inclination. I don't know. That's just good. That's not strong. Who is strong? One who controls his inclination. Not his evil inclination. A person who controls his evil inclination is just barely decent. That's according to the letter of the law. You don't control your evil inclination. You're not even living by the letter of the law. We're talking about something beyond. So who is strong? A person who controls his inclination, not his evil inclination. In other words, his natural inclinations. He isn't jealous just because he happens to feel jealous. His emotions are governed by his intelligence. He doesn't believe everything he feels. He doesn't worship his own feelings or his own nature, even though they're good, not evil. 
The third trap is, if you're so comfortable within yourself, then you resent having to uh, step out of yourself and get involved with the world around you, with others. So who is truly wealthy? A person who's happy to go outside of himself and to take care of others, to serve. And then there's the final trap. Now that you're such a mensch, it could go to your head. So who is truly honored? Who is not destroyed by the honor he gets? One who remains humble. How is he humble? He is busy honoring others. He gives honor more than he gets. So we might even say that uh, addictive thinking is almost a form of idolatry. Because addictive thinking means you worship your own feeling. You can't see past your feeling. What does it mean you can't see past? That's called God. What is God? God is that which beyond him there is nothing. There's nothing beyond. Well, if there's nothing beyond your emotions, then you're worshiping your emotions. There can't be a world without God. That's called worshiping God. There's no other way for me to be but to be angry. Well, then you're worshiping your anger. It's not my taste, it's not my style to do that, so I cannot. Not my thing. And if it's not my thing, then, it, then it's out of the question. It's called worshiping. Why is it out of the question? So don't believe everything you feel is a very profound thought. It's a great truth. Don't worship a feeling. It's not the final word. There is life beyond. Somebody asked one of the chassidim, who were the heroes back in Russia, never bowed to the, to the communists, never budged an inch, never gave up, you know, took all the suffering and all the pain and outlived them all. And somebody said, how, how did you do that? What made you so strong? And he said, I'm not strong. If you were there under those circumstances, you would have done the same thing. Because you've got to do what you've got to do. That sounds so simple. You want to be honest. Well, then even when you're tempted with a very quick and easy profit, all you have to do is lie a little bit or steal a little something. If you want to be honest, you don't do that. Yeah, but it's tempting, it's so easy. It's, yeah, but if you're honest, you don't do that, right? If you really are a God-fearing Jew and Shabbos is holy, then you don't work on Shabbos. Yeah, but Stalin... So, but if Shabbos is Shabbos, you don't work on Shabbos. In other words, what is the end of the line? What do you worship? When a person says... If Stalin is going to get upset, th then I have to do what he says. That's worshiping him. I have to. You can't think past that. That's the bottom, ultimate, final statement. Don't worship that. When a person says, no, I, I, can't, I, can't, uh, I can't teach. 
I, I'm not. I'm not a teacher. I, I, I'm. I'm bashful. I'm. Uh, no. No. I can't. If you have to teach, you teach. If there's a need, there's a demand. You know where there is no the mukim she'enish, where there is no man, be a man. But but I'm not a man. So get beyond it. Why is that the final statement? Why is that the bottom line? I'm not a man. Yeah, I know that. But we need a man, so be a man. No, I can't. That's called trapped. And when you feel trapped by something, it's a little bit idolatrous. You're saying that that's the bottom line, the ultimate reality, the ultimate truth. I am not a man. I can't. I am not. Make believe you are and do it. No? But you're worshipping it. You're worshipping a limit that you created. Which may be there. It is a limit. You are not a man. That's the letter of the law. So get beyond it. I'm not a hero. I'm not brave. I'm not... But, under the circumstances... Somebody's got to do it, so do it. But it's not me. That's true. It's not you. But don't worship what you feel. Don't believe your own feeling. Not that it's not there. The feeling is there. But don't make a getchka out of it. Don't make an idol out of it. So there is, there is this natural border. So go beyond the natural. Let's go beyond the letter of the law. So ultimately, what are, we, what are we left with? Beyond the letter of the law means there's only one God. Make sense? There's only one God means there's only one thing that is absolute beyond which there is nothing. And it's not your personality. And if you believe that your personality is the final word, and beyond that there is nothing, you're worshipping your own feeling. You're stuck in the letter of the law. It's not good enough. Make sense? That's actually the function of these weeks between Pesach and Shavuos, where we go through all the emotions week by week. What are we doing? There's kindness, and there's severity. All right, and? And you can't just leave them the way they are. You've got to examine them, take them apart, see their components, and master them. Mind controls the heart. So it's simply a, a growing up thing. Before we can receive the Torah and Shavuos, we first have to be intelligent. What is intelligent? Intelligent means... My, my, the emotions don't just exist. I've got to take a look, check them out, see what I like, see what I don't like, see what I agree with, see what I don't agree with. So counting the emotions, examining them, that's the function of a human being. That's the function of intelligence. So let's see. I have kindness. What is it made of? How many parts? Just looking at them is already intelligent. 
I'm hoping someday somebody is going to gather everything that is written in Hasidus about the faculties of the soul. Because nobody pays attention. <laughs> this is not intelligent. Just knowing that the human soul has seven emotions. You're starting to become a mensch. Most people don't even know. There are seven. But you don't know. <laughs> you never even counted your emotions, never mind control them. The first thing you have is at least count them. See if they're still all there. <laughs> you know, if you, if you have a marble collection, you count them. You have emotions, you never counted them. That's not an intelligent way to live. So Hasidus comes along and says, there are these emotions and each one is made up of seven and you can combine them and you can... All right, let, we're starting to become intelligent. To be continued.